A table. What significance could a table ever have? It's the place where most of us eat, do our homework, or have our morning coffee. But what if your table is more than that? What if it were your most valuable tool in the spiritual life of your home? In the book of Acts, the table was the place the church first gathered. It was where they had personal connection and took communion. The church was never meant to only happen at a building. It was meant to be in a home surrounded by families, coworkers, and neighbors. We are not called to simply go to church. We are called to be the church. We are called to be a church around the table. Yep, yep. Um, good morning, everybody. Thanks for talking to each other. Thanks to all the introverts for not leaving um, right away. I know how it feels. Um, yeah, we're kicking off a new sermon series. Where life groups are kicking off this week. We've got over 300 people um, that are going to be hanging out a whole bunch in smaller group situations, in homes, around tables, with snacks, and, uh, and the Word of God. Partaking in raw authenticity, relentless encouragement, biblical counsel, and hopefully some genuine friendship. Um, in a very crazy, disconnected, more connected than ever online world that we're living in. And uh, I'm really excited about it. So thanks to everyone who's said, okay, we'll give it a shot. And thanks to all the people who are leading and inviting people into your home or, or wherever you're going to meet. Um, and more to come, more to come on that. It's going to be great. And yes, we are going to be going to three services starting September 2019th. Your fault, not my fault. Just so you know, right? Like. Just so we're clear on that, if anybody's like, oh, this is not, it's your fault. I was, I was doing just fine with two services. This is no problem, you know. But then you, you guys just, you kept coming and doing all this stuff and bringing friends. It's wonderful. We're so excited. The Lord's definitely leading us. It's been a, a vision and a hope for, uh, for years now. Um, we really do believe that there's more room in the family here. Um, we've got enough food in the, sh in, uh, in the cupboards and goodness uh, coming out on the table that there's some more people that need to be here with us. And um, hopefully not necessarily people that already are going to other churches. There's room for them there, but people who, who aren't going to churches. And we're really going to start diving into that a little bit. Um, we spent time in Ephesians figuring out the vision for the church. And now we're going to figure out a little bit more of how we can practically walk this out in our uh, 21st century world. And some of you are just killing it. Some of you are so awesome at this. Some of you are a little newer to the game, and some of you need to get back in the game because you've taken a break, and it's been like 12 years now. And it's like, <laughs> break's over, my friend, break's over. Get back in the game. <laughs> um, so we did establish that church is not, this Sunday morning church concept is not what Christians do. This is just supposed to be a help for Christians to do what they're supposed to do, right? We're with that. Living Streams is an organization that does not have Jesus at the head of it. <gasps> it's true. I mean, we do our best to make sure the head of Living Streams, which is our elder board, is in line with the head of Jesus Christ. But at the end of the day, it's still like kind of filtering through a board of elders, and some pastors, and we don't get it right all the time. It's just, we're an organization. We're trying to create a house 
in our city that the organism of the church, which is the real church, which is what Jesus died for. Jesus didn't die for living streams. He died for the people who are his church that just so happened for this season of their life to be going to the organization of living streams. Are we clear on that? We, we have to get this straight. We have taught people for too long the wrong way. Not on purpose, I don't think, but, but we're just, we, we're f- fixed on a, focused on a building, we're focused on organizations, we're focused on this church or that. We, the church is, is the people of God who are trying to follow in the way of Jesus, and he's the head of them. And the church, in that regard, the organism, is the single most dominant force for good the world has ever seen, any time, any age, any place. No doubt about it. No one can contest that in their right mind. And so we, as the leaders of the organization of Living Streams, you know, we, we say, Lord, what, are, what can we do? What are we lacking? What, how can we steer? How can we get better at housing this beautiful bride, body, temple that you formed, that you died on a cross for, rose again for, gave your spirit to? What can we do? And that was where we came up with this concept that we're lacking in the church that's supposed to happen outside of the church. <laughs> now, that's a very confusing phrase, especially when we're defi- dividing that word all up. But basically, that, that we're lacking in, in, in the church that's supposed to happen outside of our Sunday morning context. That the Lord is wanting to raise a standard. He's wanting to challenge us. He's wanting to spur us on. As he looks and assesses our church family as it is, He's saying, you're doing great in a lot of ways, but there's one thing you lack. Kind of like in the letters to the churches in Revelation. I see all these good things, but there's one thing you lack. You lack in the church that's supposed to happen outside of the church. And so that's our big push, you know. Let's go, you know, open our homes. Let's, let's do life groups. That's a, that's a program thing, but, it, but it's more that. we got to take a step back from that. When we see the book of Acts, and we're going to dive into this for the next two months, we're going to really try to get a picture of what this looked like in the book of Acts and what it's looked like in church history and all these things. But I want to take one step back because I want us to get to the real core of what's behind all of this. And we got to go back to Jesus, right? we got to go back to the life of Jesus. So we're going to go to Luke chapter 4. And we're going to learn the way of Jesus once again. Many of you are familiar with this. You know all about it. But it's always good for us to go back and to remember the way that Jesus lived. And before I do that, I want to just set a little tone. I wrote a poem this week, and I'm not reading this poem because I think it's like so good or whatever. I'm reading this poem that I wrote, which is a little embarrassing, um, because I, 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 just, I just want you to, to get a little bit of a feel as to where this message is coming out of, as the Lord took me through a process of trying to teach me something that I could share with you. And so here it is. Is there a way through this consequential maze, so full of dangerous toils and snares, physically drained and dying, emotionally wounded and wounding, mentally twisted yet trying, spiritually asleep and unaware? Is there a way through this relentless desert so dry and cracked and parched, physically wasting away, emotionally dry and desensitized, mentally weary and well-doing, spiritually hopeful but helpless? 
Is there a way through this oppressive society, so polluted and popular and poisonous? My body is to be worshipped. My desires are worthy of indulgence. My ideas are more valuable than yours. God loves me more than truth and justice. Is there a way? I don't know. Some days I'm so sure. Some days I can't tell. And some days I just lie down hopeless for a while. But today, today I see Jesus. I see the trail his life, death, and resurrection is left behind. Today I choose to follow his way, so hard and rewarding and hard. Physically touching others' wounds with tenderness, emotionally pouring out sacrificial praise, mentally being transformed by his words, and spiritually fighting to stay awake with anticipation. And that was the question that came to my heart as I wrestled with my own stuff as I wrestled with stuff in my family, as I sat in a hospital room next to a drug addict that's a good friend of mine and has been for a while. This is about his sixth or seventh time he's been in the hospital with his life on the line. And I asked him, hey, do you have any hope? And he said, well, I don't really know if now's the time to talk about that. I was like... I don't know if you'll have another chance to talk about it. Like, I don't know if there's any better time in your entire life to talk about whether you have hope or not. And then I just left it because he wanted to talk about something else. And he knows exactly what I would say. Is there a way through this consequential maze that we call life and living. And Jesus is someone who says there is. And Jesus is someone who says actually there's only one way. And Jesus is someone who says that he is the only way. And so in Luke chapter four, we'll pick up there, and we'll get the start of this, where Jesus is coming on the scene He's just been baptized by John the Baptist. He's living in a Roman-dominated, oppressive world with an impoverished people, confused and beating each other up with religiosity. And he's been out in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil, which I'm sure was intense. And then he goes back home, and he shows up to church in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he's sitting there in church, and this is where we pick up in Luke chapter 4, verse 14. It says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. Jesus went to church, by the way. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me 
to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Basically, Jesus is saying, if any of you are asking, is there a way through the consequential maze of life? Is there any chance that we can find freedom, good news, healing, favor? Is there any chance at all that we might find that? Jesus said, well, I'm here to pave a way for that. The scripture that you just heard today is fulfilled. I am now going to set a path before you. I'm going to chop through the jungle. I'm going to show you the way to all of those things. And immediately, the people in his own hometown said, Jesus, this guy's crazy. I remember when he was a little kid over there. He fell over there and hurt his knee. I remember when he was over there and he got sick. Or whatever. I mean, they remember him growing up. And now he's standing there saying he is the way who's going to pave the way to freedom and healing and life and goodness. And then he said to those people right after that, And just like many prophets were not received in their own hometown, I know you guys will not receive me. So I will go to other places and I will show them the way because you will not receive it. They got so mad that they pushed him to the edge of the cliff and they were going to push him off to kill him. And then he walked right through them, the Bible says. He paved a way even through them. And then he goes in chapter 5. We're not going to read it. We'll just sum up. He basically at that point goes out to this place called Capernaum and he preaches to them and he says bring to me anyone that is in those situations they bring him to him and he heals him and he sets him free and he gives him hope he tells him about God's favor for them and it's this wonderful thing and then just after that he calls some disciples to him he goes out to the sea one day near Capernaum and there's this these fishermen there, and he says, hey, can, can, can I borrow your boat? And they're like, whatever. So he gets in the boat, and they go out a little bit, and he starts teaching the people. He's giving them words of life. He's teaching them what the scriptures are really trying to say, who God is and what God requires. And the people are stirred in all of this, and, and then all of a sudden the guy who's in the boat, this guy named Simon Peter, Simon's there, and he looks up, and after he hears what Jesus has to say, he says, depart from me, for I'm, I'm, I'm wicked. You don't want to be around me, Jesus. You've got to find somebody else's boat. This is a dirty boat. And Jesus says, if you follow me, if you get on this path that I'm carving, and you stick close with me, you're going to be saying some real different things. And then we have the story of Peter beginning and the other disciples. As they followed in that path, 
they found all those things that Jesus had promised. And even more importantly, then they began, began to be people who could pass those things on. And then later on, it's interesting, turn to Luke chapter 7. There's this moment where John the Baptist, the guy who was Jesus' cousin, the guy who baptized Jesus, the guy that kind of was a forerunner for Jesus, he actually says that he was supposed to prepare the way for the one who was coming. That actually can show us the way. That can make a way where there is no way. And John the Baptist in verse, uh, we'll pick up in 18. John's disciples uh, told all these things about him. And then John called two of them. And he sent them to Jesus to ask, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? And when the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Are you the one that's going to show us the way, that can make a way where there is no way? Because at one point I kind of thought that, but now if you know John's situation, he's in prison, and he's about to lose his head. Because he was talking to the political leaders at that time saying, what you're doing is not pleasing to God. And so John's been in prison for a while. And he's wondering if Jesus cares. And it started to make him wonder if Jesus really is the way. And at that very time, verse 21, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. And he replied to the messengers of John, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. He basically says to him, all of the things that were promised in the beginning are still showing up today. As I'm carving this path and people are following this path, they're receiving these things, this path of life, the path of the just that shines ever brighter to the perfect day. And he's saying, John, I know you're on this path. And I want to say, blessed is anyone who does not falter or stumble or get off the path because I didn't do what they thought I should do. I'm the one paving the way. You're the one following, John. Follow me. And you will see all of these things come to pass. And then he continues to pave that way. And we've read the scriptures. We have the stories. We have four different accounts in this Bible of all that Jesus did, all that he stirred up with his words and with his power and with his love and with his death and resurrection. And many of us in this room, we've said, okay, all right, Jesus, there's lots of people telling me they know the way, but they're all dead. And they stayed dead. But Jesus, you, you're the one that said you knew the way, died, and then conquered death. So I, I think I'm going your way. And we've been following this way for whatever reason. We've been going down this path, and we've been able to experience some freedom, some healing, some favor, some grace, some of the things that Jesus has promised. 
I've asked Kurt, actually, Pastor Kurt, to start categorizing and cataloging all of the signs that we're seeing in our midst right here in the church. And he just sent me an email. There's so many wondrous things happening. People actually getting physically healed. The men's retreat in our Sunday morning services. Other places. And if you're like me and you're like, well, you're just saying these things, but I need, I, need, I need to talk to the person it happened to. Feel free. I'm sure they would be happy to tell you. Come talk to me. Come talk to Kurt. Kurt, stand up real quick and do a little circle. I'm not joking. I am as skeptical as anybody. Come talk to us. We will take you to the people that are actually experienced healing, and you can, you can determine whether you think they're true or not. We're not trying to make stuff up. I'm trying to exaggerate things. I mean, it's true. We are experiencing this stuff. Two Sundays ago, you guys saw, we had a bunch of people get baptized up here, and right before that, we had all these people raise their hand to say, I need to follow Jesus. And they're experiencing life. And again, I mean, just that's why somehow we got to get together so we can hear each other's stories because the reason most of the people are in this room is because they, are, they can say absolutely, without a doubt, Jesus in my life, different. No doubt about it. Whether it's some supernatural, miraculous thing or it's some more deep soul spiritual work or both. That's what this is all about. This is not built on some sort of idea or some guru. This is built on tangible, practical signs and wonders of the Spirit of God showing up. That Jesus is not dead in a grave somewhere. He is alive and on the move. And maybe, just maybe, we're getting to see true revival happening right here. We're going to talk more about that. But John the Baptist, stick with the program. Don't fall on account of me. Jesus is telling him he is the way. Jesus is basically trying to teach him that I am paving a way. I know the way. I'm going to go the full distance. And if you can follow my way, though it's hard and rewarding and hard, you will get to see the life of God, the life God intended. You will get to taste the kingdom of heaven even in this life prior to the next. This is the, the, the word and promise of Jesus Christ that has been spreading throughout the world. And then there was this culmination, which brings us to church around the table. There was this culmination at the end of Jesus' life as he had gathered his followers. And there were about 120 at one point, and now there's only 12 that had committed their life to following the way of Jesus because it's hard. And there's only 12 left in this upper room as Jesus calls them to have a little time of church around the table. A little time of fellowship around a table. A little time of raw authenticity, relentless encouragement, biblical counsel, and genuine friendship around a table. Jesus, when he's spending his last night on earth, decides to, to make a powerful statement for all of us. The most valuable thing you can do is church around the table. Jesus gathers his people together. There's 12 of them there, plus Jesus. One of them, it's not going to work out so good. 
And he's there having a meal with him. And he said, I have so longed to share this meal with you. This has been the day, the moment that I have been planning and hoping for this entire ministry life that I've had these last three years. This really is a culmination. This is a precious, important moment. Guys, I don't want you to miss this. And he broke bread and he said, this is my body which I am giving to you. And they didn't understand the full ramification of what that meant in that moment. They just thought it was this cool, like, yeah, Jesus is for us. He's with us. Yeah, he loves us. He's given so much to us. But Jesus was speaking of more than that. He was actually saying his body was going to be pierced and broken on a cross so that they could be set free from the wrath of God. And they received this, and Jesus said, do this often and remember. Whenever you eat, remember me. Remember that your fellowship is not just with each other, but I am there as well. And just as I gave myself to you, I want you to give yourself to one another. I want you to find people that you will give yourself to in a sacrificial way. Just as I found you and gave myself to you. And then he said, this is my blood, which is going to be poured out cover you. And we understand that it's his blood that's sacrificed that actually cleanses our sins because he was sinless and we aren't. But still the impartation is there. He gathers these people together and says, I will give all of me to you. My body and my blood poured out for you and I want you to go and do the same. To gather some people around your table And love them so much so that you could say with all honesty, this body is for you. Anything you need, I will give you. This blood that flows through my veins, I will pour it out for you so that you could know the love of the Father. This is discipleship. This is the call of the church. This is the call of you. That's why you can't have hundreds of them. That's why it's a joke for, for me to think I'm pastoring all of you guys. Here is my body. It's like three people would get it and the rest of you would be starving to death. Here is my blood. I want to give you everything. You'd be like, most of you just be broke and miserable. Because I don't have that much, but I have enough for a few. And guess what? You have enough for a few as well. You have enough for a few. And what I love about Jesus' life is Jesus, when he came to the world, knowing all of the problems in the world, all of the poor, all of the injustice, all of the rape, murder, all of the lying, stealing, Jesus knew about all of that. And you know what he did to solve all of those problems? He gathered some people around him and loved them with everything in him. And then asked them to go do the same thing. What kind of strategy is that? It's Jesus's. It's God's strategy. I will not give my body and blood for Living Streams Church, this organization. Sometimes it feels like it. But there are some people in my life 
that I'll give everything for, and I'm supposed to. And the more I give to them, the more the Lord just pours right back into me. And, and, and I want us to understand, it's not just church around the table, church around the communion table, church around whatever table. Um, for me in my life, it's been a little different than that. It's been church around food stamps. It's been church in a 15-passenger van. It's been church in, in, in different ways like that, church in my own home with foster boys or a friend of mine that needed a year to get stable. For, for Jesus, it was church in a boat, remember? He's with, he's with Peter, and he's doing his sermon or whatever, but Jesus is really just like, bam, ha ha, got you. You just heard the message. Now you're saying you're dirty. You get the message. And I, but it's like, hey, come on. Let's do this thing. And that guy that was so dirty that wanted nothing to do with Jesus but just had a little church time in the boat with him was at the table with him on his last night. And that guy right there, got the message so well that after Jesus died on the cross, he went and lived as Jesus. It was really hard when you read the stories about Peter after Jesus' death and resurrection. It's really hard to tell the difference sometimes. Is this a story about Jesus or a story about Peter? And then in the end, Peter decided Jesus is so worthy that I don't even want to die the same way he did because he was crucified as well, but he decided he wanted to do it upside down as he gave his body and his blood for Jesus and the ones that he was called to love. I'm sorry if you came to church this morning just for a little pickup. <laughs> I really am. It's my birthday, though, so you have to deal with it. <laughs> you get away with so much more on your birthday, you're like, birthday card. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry I was a jerk to you. <laughs> birthday card, <laughs> you know. Got one day to do it all, you know. But church in a boat, you know, Jesus had, you know, church in all kinds of different places. Church on the side of a hill. Church in the, you know, garden. Church here, church there. Jesus had church everywhere. And for me, when I said church around the food stamps, I remember this guy, Jason Beal. I was 17 years old in my senior year of high school, and he was 20 years old and had a wife and a kid. Seemed a little quick to me, but I just thought he was fun. And he cared so much about me. I don't know why. He just really wanted to make sure I knew who Jesus was, knew what I, I knew the love of Jesus, felt the love of Jesus, knew that God had a plan for my life, knew that there was this path that if I would walk on, it would be hard and rewarding and hard, and knew that if they walked on these other paths, it would just kind of be like, eh, and then death, vanity. And I remember one time we were in line, and he just hung out with me. He'd pick me up, and he'd take me around. He'd set up all these adventures we'd go on. And then one time we were in a grocery store, and I remember... You know, he had his kid, and he was buying some weird stuff, stuff like, I don't know, like baby stuff or whatever. Never seen it before when I was 17 years old. And I was just like, okay. And then, and then all of a sudden, he was starting to, like, act a little strange as he's in the little ticket line, you know, the things coming down here. And I'm standing behind him just like, yeah, what's up, you know. And, and, then, and then he's like, and he kind of 
pulled some stuff out and he just handed it across and he was just looking down. And my dad was a doctor. I'd never seen food stamps. But when he did it, I, didn't, I wouldn't have known what it was except for the kind of feeling that he was having. And I thought, oh, what is, what's going, oh, those are food stamps. Oh, he must feel like I think less of him because he's on food stamps. But you know, it was the exact opposite. I thought, here's a guy that's doing everything he can to try to take care of his family, yet he still has time for me? To care about my life? To teach me guitar? To take me on all these weekend adventures with some Christian deal? To just pray for me and care for me and ask me all these questions about my life and what I'm going to do? He showed me a path. Maybe want to know Jesus. And then later on, I remember I, I just graduated high school and I, you know, had some plans for my life. I thought I was pretty cool. And this guy said, hey, you, want, you, you got nothing to do this week because um, I talked to your parents. And uh, I, I have to go to Mexico um, with this group of, of high schoolers and kind of just make sure they're doing okay. But then ultimately I have to go steal a boat that my brother left at a gas station down there because this guy won't give him the boat back. And I was like, I'm in. <laughs> I don't know what you said before steal a boat, but I'm in. And so this guy was a pastor. And this is what is his job as a pastor that week, I guess. I didn't know you could do that as a pastor, but we get in a boat, me, him, and my brother, we're driving down. He's telling me all about Jesus. He's telling me all this good stuff. He's t teaching me all these things. I'm just like, what is happening? And literally, we stayed the night like probably a mile away from this gas station where they had to leave the boat because the, the, the trailer broke. And, and, and he's like, okay, well, so someone needs to stay awake the whole night. And, uh, and they're like, okay. And he's like, I'll take the first shift. And then my brother, I was, I was 18, they were older. And so they were, they were going to cover it. And I woke up one time, everyone's asleep. And there's like cars driving by and we're deep in Mexico. And I'm just like, oh, we're going to die. Um, and then the next morning, literally right before the sun came up, we go over and we got this whole boat and trailer onto a flatbed trailer. Just like we would jack it and then push it until the jack fell over, jack it, push it. It was the most ridiculous, dumb thing in the world. But I remember as soon as we got that on that thing, he was like, get in, boom. We took off running. And then as we were driving out, the owner of the gas station drove in like this. And he was like, whoa. And we were like, out of there. And then he was telling me a little more about Jesus. And he was praying for me. And, and I thought, okay, okay church in a 15-passenger van down in Mexico. This is legit. And I thought, you know what? I'm interested in who Jesus is and what he does with a person's life. And it was shortly after that where Jesus came to me himself and he said, you want to do what you have in mind for your life or you want to see what I have planned? And it was over. I've been very interested in his plans ever since. And so much has shown up in my life that I, there's no other way to explain it except Jesus. And then there's this other story of a guy named Jan Tiranowski, and we'll finish with this. Pope John Paul II, he was Pope, 
by the way. <laughs> so he did pretty good at Christianity. But he tells a story about a moment in his life when he had church in the apartment of a shoemaker, of a tailor. And I'll pop the quote up there. Um, I'll read it to you just in case you don't have it, but I just love this quote so much. And this is the call. We're supposed to have church around our table, no doubt, but we're supposed to have church everywhere we go. This is, this is just supposed to be a little pep talk, you know, a little encouragement. And even this, you know, that's why we create a little space here. Find some people. Some people in this room are barely hanging on right now. And you could just come and wrap your arms around them. But this is what um, John Paul II said about his church in the Taylor's apartment. This guy, Jan Tiranowski, and I am praying that every single person at Living Streams will change their name to Jan at some point. I mean, I want this so badly for us because this is Jesus. He was one of those unknown saints hidden among the others like a marvelous light at the bottom of life. At a depth where night usually reigns. And in his words, in his spirituality, and in the example of a life given to God alone, he represented a new world that I did not yet know. I saw the beauty of a soul opened up by grace. This is Jesus' dream for your life. That there would be people, maybe just 10 or 11, that would say these words. They say, ah, I, I know who that is. That's George. That's Sarah. That, when I hear that quote, I, my mind immediately goes to this person. Because that's what Jesus has been for us. What I wrote down at the end was, I think we all need to find a Christian luminary and learn. Then we need to become a Christian luminary and share our lives. And ultimately focus on someone who's not a Christian until they become a Christian luminary. That was the way of Jesus. That's the way Jesus taught us to do church. And that's it. Let's pray. We'll take a moment now and just be quiet before the Lord. And we really do believe that Jesus is alive and that his spirit moves among his people, that if two or more are gathered in his name, his presence is there. We believe that the Bible teaches that God loves to speak to people, whether they know him or not whether they got it right this morning or not. And so we just want to stop for a moment and see what God might say to us. And it can be something in, about the message or it could be something totally different.
Jesus, I don't know exactly how you did it, but you were able to take those fisher men and make them into fishers of men. And Lord, they were able to follow in your path and bring healing, true healing, and freedom, true freedom, and love to people. And Lord, I I just ask that first everyone in this room would know that this is something that you want to do with them. That you are faithful. You are the author and perfecter of our faith. That you've taken it upon yourself to be that for every person that would follow you. And you've given us your spirit that if we choose to follow you, we actually can receive your spirit as a guide, as a strength, as a comfort. And Jesus, I pray that anyone in this room that does not have your spirit living inside of them, that today, Lord, they would ask and you would give. And they would know that this is not something you want them to do in their own strength and wisdom, but something you want to partner with them for. If you haven't received the Spirit of God, if you haven't said, Jesus, I want you in my life to be the Lord of my life, I just encourage you in this moment to say those words out loud. God is listening and He is ready. you're ready. And Jesus, I do pray that you would teach us your ways, that you would keep us from getting distracted or sidetracked. by the stuff in our own hearts and minds, let alone in our world, that your voice would always come through loud and clear. We thank you that you are our teacher, you are our guide, Jesus. And I pray that we would fix our eyes on you and we would follow your path. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. We're going to close with the song. And uh, if you would like prayer for anything, we'll have some people up front that would love to pray with you. If you are someone that today was the first day you invited Jesus into your life and you prayed that prayer out loud, I'd love to talk to you. I'll be up here towards the front. Um, But let's just spend this last moment really praising the Lord and fixing our eyes on Him once again before we leave.